Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast led by its namesake hosts Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins, with new episodes every Tuesday morning. Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news as well as a look inside their lives and career journey with can't-miss conversations. And during the NBA Finals games at Golden State, Perk and Brian Winhurst will be doing special post-game podcasts. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Also, ESPN's Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever. The story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in them, and changed the game itself forever. Stream now on ESPN+. And listen to the companion 30 for 30 podcast, A Streetball Mixtape, exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us. And now coming in from scenic Quincy, Massachusetts. Check him out on Yahoo Sports, Sirius XM, NBA TV, all over the place, man. Vinny Goodwill, what's going on? Scenic Quincy, Massachusetts. Scenic. Yes. Bo. Yes. Yes, scenic. Uh, I wonder how many people named Quincy are there in Quincy, Massachusetts? Funny thing, I believe, and this is why I just hate the name Quincy, I believe that if my name were not my name, it might have been something like Quincy. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom tells me a story saying that, yeah, that might have been your name until my dad came in and was like, no, 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 he's a junior. <laughs> well, what I wonder about Quincy <laughs> is when do white folks decide we can have that one? That's one of those, you know... I was thinking about this the other day, the certain names that they have let us have. Yeah. Like Jerome used to be theirs mm-hmm. and now it's ours. Tyrone. Tyrone definitely used to be there. What names have they taken back? No, no, no. Once, 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 once we got our, our, our stamp on it, <laughs> they not, they not bringing it back. It's like, I feel like they don't love the Q names like we do. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no, if you see a name and it start with a Q is us. That's true. That is true. Even whether it's, uh, shall we say, one syllable or multiple, multiple syllables, mm-hmm. it, is it is usually ours. us. It is usually it, us. It is ours. It is ours. But of course, we got Vinny here to talk about what's going on here in these uh, NBA finals. And we have not been able to do our like normal daily breakdown on what's <laughs> going on in this in these last few days. However, what was he going to talk about? Clearly, nobody knows anything. None of us like seem to have any idea of exactly what this is going on. But I want to talk to you first about Stephen Game 4. And I talked about it on the podcast on Monday just because I've never seen him as the guy to just be like, I'm going to carry us to this. Not to say that he wasn't a great player in all of this, but the, okay, Steph, we're going to need 40 from you tonight. Well, you're going to get 40. He went out there and put them on his back for that 43. And it was very clear that he knew I am putting you guys on my back. Bo, the most impressive thing for me was, you know how Steph has these instances during the games where 
he throws the ball all around the floor and it's like turnovers and he's playing loosey-goosey with it playing with like sort of a reckless disrespect for the basketball he didn't play like that at all everything was tight it was in the box like i don't think he's as explosive as the player he was in 2016 right but i feel like there's a level of tightness to his game that he realizes i can't waste space i can't waste motion everything has to be done with intention everything in game four was done with intention like every time he got switched out onto somebody and they were hunting him too at the same time bo he was holding his end on defense he's playing on a bum leg and going out and grabbing 10 rebounds that's the most impressive thing for me was he's playing on a jacked up leg or foot or whatever it was and he's going down there and grabbing rebounds why because i can't trust none of y'all to do nothing i gotta do this Yo, he's getting boards and Andrew Wiggins, where I think that there's a general desire to be on the good for you, Andrew Wiggins program, right? It's a whole different breed of NBA fan these days. And he's the guy that people have decided to root for in that way, which is weird because normally the underachiever is treated with a much different level of scoring, right? Now, my read on Wiggins, we ain't talked about this. I'm curious what you think. I was impressed by the 14 rebounds in game four more than anything else, right? And I've been impressed by the defense and the willingness to go to the basket. However, 26 points on 23 shots in game five, that just sounds like the Andrew Wiggins that we have known forever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to diminish the game that he played or to say that he hasn't played well because I think overall that he has. I'm just looking at the things people are pointing to and I'm just like, oh yeah, we just want to say nice things about Andrew Wiggins. Okay, got it. I think for me, the impressive thing, Bo, was the willingness to do it. Yes. Like you look at it and you think about a guy like Wig and you would think, oh, when he plays some big games, he's going to shrink because of what happened in Minnesota. But he's like, no, no, no. When you don't care, you don't care on a losing team. You don't care on a winning team either. And sometimes that works for you because there's no disappointment. There's no anger. You know, the same things that you say about him in a losing situation, like losing doesn't get to him. Well, then that means pressure might not get to him either. That means Jason Tatum might not get to him either. Like you're seeing more desire, but in like a different sort of way. And the fact that who else on that team can get their own shot, Bo? Yeah, but I mean, he's not really getting his own shot, is he? Yeah. Like, I feel like he's getting shots. I feel like, like he's, he's making open ones by and large when he gets them. He's going to the basket, right, and getting, you know, shots on cut, you know, cutting and stuff like that. Think about it. Game five, Steph didn't have it, right? And right. it happens. That's fine. It's no big deal. Like, this is not an indictment of him or saying he shrank in the moment. It was, I guess, a regression to the mean game as much as anything else for him. He didn't really have it. Like, he ain't James Worthy, Andrew Wiggins. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, right. all right, dog, well, you go ahead and you can be the one to make this happen. What's been wild to me I think you and I have talked about this. Did Clay Thompson do all this dribbling before shooting before he was hurt? <laughs> like, I'm not even being shady about that. I'm like, legitimately, I'm like, yo, I don't remember you ever doing this nearly this much. And that's the last thing that I expected for him after basically missing three years. Well, two things. For one, he played those years with Kevin Durant. Like, that completely skews everything where the last three years we saw him play. We saw him play with Kevin Durant, so everything had to be tight. He didn't have room to dribble, right? And then before that, Draymond Green was a much more active part of the offense because he was in 2016, which was the last Kevin Durant list year, where he shoot 36% from three. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't just doing the dribble handoffs. Draymond was an active participant in the offense because he had to be a threat. That left less room for Clay to do his thing. Now he's like, who else going to do it? I just didn't know it was his thing. Like, I mean, go back to 2015 and 16 before Kevin Durant showed up. 
I just don't remember Clay putting it on the ground. And I'd looked up the numbers on that before and just been like, mm. oh, okay, his shots are assisted. That's what this is going to be. He has not come back as the same player in terms of ability. I just think that's unfair to ask yeah, him yeah. or anybody else. But he also seems to have come back as a player with a legitimately different game. Well, it looks on its face like it looks the same. The numbers tell you a different story. Like the fact that he's not the guy that's going to be defending your best perimeter player, for one. Like like you said, too much to ask. But also, Steph is not going to be dribbling all around the floor like a Harlem Globetrotter anymore. Like it's just, it's just not an efficient use of his energy and his skill. So there's a lot more real estate out there. And for someone like Clay. I think he kind of recognizes I'm a little bit bigger and stronger. Like what happens is when people come back from these injuries that you always hear, oh, my leg is stronger or whatever. Right. It doesn't mean you're as explosive. It just means that you just built up that muscle. Right. He might be putting his back on people and he's looking around and like, hey, who's going to actually stop me, even though I'm not really fast and getting to the basket like that. Like he's usually going up against someone smaller. Once again, Clay doesn't give a shit. He exists in such an interesting space, right? Because it is clear that he cares, right? The dude tried to shoot the free throws with a torn ACL, right? It is clear that he cares, but you got to got to trust that he does. Like there's going to be some moment where you're like, oh, wow, he really cares. You know what I mean? But otherwise, Clay just out here like, yeah, 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 yeah. But of all those dudes on the team, when it's time to say something like, we the best, he is the one that is most likely to say it. Like, I think it was in 2019 they were down or something like that and they had one of those press conferences and they asked him what he thinks they're going to do. He's like, I just think that we're going to respond like the champions we are. We're going to go home. We're going to get this win. We're going to come back here and get that one. Like, he's very matter of fact. Yeah. If he don't waste dribbles, he don't waste words. Like, there was a funny thing that Bob Myers told me when I was interviewing him for a piece. And I asked him, like, how did the players respond when you said, hey, we got to take a step back? And from what I gathered, it was kind of like a group chat. Group chat with Steph, Draymond, Clay. Now, you can imagine who got the most words and the most thoughts, right? And then he's like, well, what did Clay say? Okay. (laughs) That's just it. Like, this is what it is? Okay. And then you move on with life. Like, whatever it is, like, there's no... Clay is very matter-of-fact about everything. He said the other night, I laid in the ocean. The ocean has healing powers. I feel like it puts me closer to God, and I'm an Aquarius. If I didn't know any better, if he didn't say water, I'd have thought he was talking about weed. Yes, yes. Like, that's all, that's 1970s NBA talk, right? Like, that's a dude who changes his name to something, right? Like, I used to be Clay Thompson. Now my name is Let's Get Along. <laughs> if there wasn't already a Shaquille Sunflower in the NBA, yes. the Shaquille Sunflower will most definitely be Clay Thompson. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. 
Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. What did you think about Draymond putting up the whopping eight points in game five? And I don't mean to be shady when I say, yes, I do. I'm being shady when I say whopping eight points. However, it was a whopping eight points compared to the minuscule two that he put up the game before. And it's worth noting, it was, I believe, eight points early and then no more points after that. Well, <laughs> not to be funny. No, it's kind of funny. I think he's got as many fouls as he's gotten points. Yes. Or somewhere close. I think he's fouled out of three games in this series. But... This is about what you can reasonably expect from Draymond Green at this point of his career. He's playing against bigger and stronger dudes. He's been playing against bigger, stronger, taller dudes. We don't think of atrophy in the way of like basketball, but that takes a toll, right? Like long term, it has to take a toll on someone like him. And his impact is always going to be force and how hard he plays and getting under someone's skin and everything else. But we just remember like those flashpoint moments, like that dribble handoff or the steal in the lane and going for a dunk. Those things matter as much as feeling like he's shooting with a backpack attached to him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that effect means something. And believe you me, they needed every bit of them eight points out there early because if he didn't and you're going to halftime up two or something like that, that game might turn out different. So... I was having dinner last night with a Division I basketball coach. Mm. And he said something about Draymond Green in a way that I had never really considered. And he said, no player he has ever seen has squeezed more out of his talent ever. He was just like, dude, he's a goon. He's like, his whole game is gooned. He is going to goon his way into the Hall of Fame. And I don't really think of Draymond as a goon. Like, I think of goons as a completely, like, I think of Anthony Mason as a goon, right? Right. right. I don't think of Draymond Green in that way. But can you name one exceptional physical talent that Draymond has? I think he has a really good hand-eye. Right. But that's that's the best we got, right? Hand-eye, right? Which is even then, like, we're we getting in the weeds here, right? Like, like yeah. this, is, you know, this, is, this is the NBA. We could probably say hand-eye about just about everybody. Like, there's the Steph Currys of the world, which are just exceptional next-level hand-eye. But Draymond has nothing that you could point to on a piece of paper or anything else that indicates that he would be as impactful toward winning basketball as he is. And he absolutely does it. Which is probably why it's good to have a guy like that. This yeah. dynasty doesn't sustain unless you have a guy that knows that he is getting everything out. That knows that literally, we don't know if we're going to be back here next year. You know what I mean? Like, they're playing with a level of awareness and desperation. Not to say, like, this is luck or anything like that. But they know they have an opportunity in front of them. And Draymond is a guy who knows, this is my opportunity. I don't look at him, like you said, physically... I wonder if he knows how to you and control his weight better than anybody. Mm-hmm. At, you know what I mean? Because most people can throw their weight around. They don't know what they're doing. Draymond keeps everything tight. He knows how to leverage that. He knows how to move his feet. But once again, you're not talking about exceptional athlete. You're talking about someone that knows how to play basketball. You're talking about somebody that knows how to leverage angles and can disrupt your entire program just by putting his foot one step to the left. 
Because normally those undersized dudes do have some exceptional physical talent. That's the only way that they can overcome being oversized. He's doing all here in the cranium, man, right? It is a sophisticated, fascinating understanding of how all kinds of things work, particularly on defense. And we can make the same argument on offense. They just all go out the window when they're like, bro, we ain't got to guard you. It is amazing. Like, because everybody talked about, oh, Draymond was more aggressive in game five. I was like, did y'all see him pass up another layup? They're giving him four footers. And he's like, no, I'm good. I think part of it is, yes, he's in his own head about that. And also, he might recognize these dudes are tall. and Can you imagine being six foot six Draymond Green and you see Robert Williams III standing in front of you, five inches taller, longer, leapier, all that? I'd have the yips too. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'll say this is, this is an important point because we were just talking about Andrew Wiggins. And he said, you know, when we got Andrew Wiggins, Tibbs said that Jimmy Butler loved Andrew Wiggins. And we know that if Jimmy Butler, you got any soft in you, you know, Jimmy Butler don't like you. What he was also saying was, insert, change Jimmy Butler's name to my name. Yes. (laughs) That's what he was saying by proxy. I don't think people picked up on it, but that's exactly what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm a crazy man too. Yeah. And if you got some soft in you, you got to go. Right. Yet that dude is getting two feet from the basket and throwing it 20 feet out to Andrew Wiggins or throwing it out to Jordan Poole. And I guess Jordan Poole could shoot. But normally when you're that close to the basket and you're that type of player, you just go up because if worst case scenario comes, you'll get fouled. Like he's not even playing that game. I've just never seen a player Keeping in mind, again, a dude I once saw score, what, 37 in a game seven in the NBA Finals? And he doesn't want to shoot at all. He wants no parts of the ball. Like I said on Monday, I can relate, dog. I've been there. Everybody else better than you. And if you shoot and you stop at somebody else from, oh, man, I know how that feels, dog. Well, I mean, here's the thing. And and on the other end, if you're the vocal Draymond Green, you can't be out here taking all these ill-advised shots. Right. Not to be able to get on people's asses in the huddle. (laughs) <laughs> hey, you play defense. You do this. Uh, hey, Draymond, stop shooting. You don't want to be the guy having that summer jam screen come right. right back at you. So he's playing it right. And I'm ain't nobody criticizing him. It's just or at least me. You know what I mean? Like, this is the way that he's figured out that he has to play. I think he's going to have to play better in this next game or two games, depending on, you know, how long this series goes. Cause they're gonna they're gonna adjust to him again. And he has not played particularly well in Boston. Bo, I would be shocked if we crowned a champion whose front court could give you nothing offensively. Yes. I can't remember a champion of reasonable vintage, like modern NBA, modern NBA. Like, my, I would say modern NBA, that's playoff expansion, 16 teams. So, talking 1984, where you didn't have reasonable front court option. Not throw it down to the post, bang, 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 but not a threat besides just the dump offs because that's Kevon Looney and that's Draymond if Draymond's going to score it's going to be the dump off so it's going to be you know the one time you the dribble handoff but they don't have a reasonable option like this is the most perimeter-ish oriented champion that we may have in history yeah because I guess like 2015 Draymond was a different offensive animal than this one right that was not the same as what we got here so we could maybe look at that team but you're right as I'm sitting here trying to go through my mind And think about an NBA Finals team that did not have a reasonable front court option. Nah, that's pretty much this. This is the only team that I can think of. Now, granted, it's a team with big guards, right? 
Like, Clay Thompson is small forward size. Andrew Wiggins is small forward size. Uh, they had been putting um, Lil Otto out there in the starting lineup because they just like, yo, we just can't have Draymond and Kevon Looney out here at the same time, but so often. Yeah, I mean, and when he's out there, it's not like he's giving you a big boost. No. He's just out there to give space for Steph and Clay. Like, literally, that's the only reason he's out there. And you're taking your best rebounder off the floor. Like, that was a ballsy move from Steve Kerr, who I will tell you is a much better coach than he was four years ago. Yep, and you know, that's the thing about coaching. It's just like everything else. You get a little better at it as you do it more, right? Because, like, before, he, to me, was CEO, like, macro-level coach. Like, we brought in a new philosophy. We brought in a new offense. We brought in a new coaching staff. I am overseeing those things. That's what we were getting out of him. Now, this has required some figuring, right? This isn't just maximizing above what they had done previously. This is requiring some figuring and figuring he has done. And I can't say nothing bad about it at this point. I'm shocked. My best coaches list sort of changes, you know, year to year, depending on like the results and everything else. But I feel like, look, man, it's like Spo, Ty Lue and Steve Kerr and then everybody else kind of goes to the back of the bus after that. You know what I mean? Like the adjustments that he's made. Are we taking Greg Popovich out of this simply because there hadn't been a reason to think about him? Yeah. He's kind of emeritus. That's all. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Like just because uh, playing games of consequence, that hasn't happened for, you know what I'm saying, a few years. And do no like fault of his own. Like you're going to have, you're bound to have the type of years that they've had of the successes that they've had. But as far as big game championship style playing big games every year coaches i feel like it's those three and i feel like it's everybody else and steve kerr has been borderline masterful against ime udoka who's a really good coach who ime udoka his number one play bow is will y'all stop playing like yes yeah i think he said in the huddle the other day y'all please stop playing like ass <laughs> that was his thing like he's like he get all his points across without raising his voice like it's 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 amazing but 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 He's in that early portion of things where we give him credit for all the things that we see that we want to give him credit for. And we kind of ignore the other stuff because he's new. And the truth is they play better in game five in the third quarter. Like, I think they actually won the third quarter, which I didn't know they were capable of. They was in there playing Xbox and watching cartoons at at (laughs) halftime. And apparently he unplayed. I don't know where the controller at. Anyway, y'all want to listen to me now? Got it, right? Maybe that's what it is. Or... They wanted to play 2K and he just ran and started doing the film looks on 2K and I like, get bridged a gap and, you know, gave them what they needed or whatever. I don't know. But the fact that it's looked like that in third quarters, yo, that's on him. Like at some a point, he has, to, yeah, yeah. he has to take some measure of accountability for the fact that this is what happens with his team or the fact his team has the shortest attention span in the world. They just can't keep it locked in. Like they came in that third quarter in game five. And like I say, I guess their whole strategy is regression to the mean. What, they make eight straight shots coming out of halftime? Eight. Eight. And outside of that, Bo, I think they were 3 of 24 from 3. Outside of hitting eight straight shots, you are 3 of 24 from 3. That I put on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Well, Jason Tatum, what are we doing here, man? It's time to have a conversation. That's what it is. Jason Tatum, I believe, was in my top five MVP voting. And not that I'm taking that vote back because I think it was legit. Yeah. But he just does not look like he is processing information right now. Like he just either he is extremely stubborn which i can see him doing or extremely dedicated to saying i'm going to take the toughest path possible why because kobe did it you know what i feel like with jason tatum (laughs) like you know before they started tweaking around on madden 
to make it harder to complete a fourth down because they're like, yo, too many people like, come on now, this ain't life. You know what I mean? Like you can't be going, <laughs> nobody goes to a fourth down every time. And so they had to start making it harder for you to do that. But when you play in Madden, man, ain't no fun in punting, right? You were fourth and 15, you still want to go for it because that's just what's more entertaining. That's what I feel like with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's like, there's nothing fun about getting to the line. There's nothing fun about just putting this up. Like in game four, when he was going to the basket, I'm like, oh, you got to lay up here. And then he stick his arm out to the left and just flip it up there and try to kiss it off the glass. I'm like, dog, what are you doing? Why are you making this so much more difficult than it has to be? And then Jalen Brown, just almost there. He's almost there. It's why I think it was you that texted me during game four and you was like, why is he going up so weak? <laughs> Don't get it. Like once, you, once you're there, your worst case scenario should be I'm going to the line. But he's not a 16. guy that goes to the line. He's not a guy that goes to the line even during like during the regular season. Though over the course of his career, that was my one thing about him was even this year was can you manufacture offense when you don't have a really good night? Because in the playoffs, you're going to be playing against tough defense, and you're playing against a dude who is basically like artificial intelligence. Andrew Wiggins is he don't get tired. You know what I mean? He's like literally one of those basketball robots can't get in his head or anything like that. You're just going to have to beat him. And if you're not beating him, remember, Jason Tatum shooting like 40% from three. Why is he shooting 40% from three? Because it's catch and shoot. Because he's catching it off the swing, swing. Anything else, Bo, it is a struggle. And once again, they have him pegged. They know that he is going to take one extra dribble. They know he's going to do one extra side step. He is dedicated. I've never seen a dude so damn dedicated to making this hard when he should be torching everybody he's that talented where he should be torching everybody and he's not he's gonna look at this series when this is over and be like man i left one on the table yeah no this is and maybe this is just what it's gonna take coming from him right like maybe this is gonna be the one to make me be like yeah man i really did make this a lot more difficult than it had to be or maybe he's not a superstar well he is not right now and now again i use superstar far more judiciously than most people do you know what I'm saying? Like, I recognize this. As do, yeah, as yeah. do I. My standard on superstar is high. I get that. But I also know that what happens in the first round of the playoffs is we got to come up with stuff to talk about. Don't you remember a mere year ago where we were really coming out here saying that Devin Booker was the next version of Kobe Bryant? And I'm like, if it took you six years to figure this out, then he's not the next version of Kobe Bryant. That's not how that works. I think... And this is where I'll give Jason Tatum a lot of credit. Huge game seven in Miami. Yeah. Huge game six in Milwaukee, right? Huge games when it was nut cutting time. Whether it's these bad shots got to go in or I'm just going for it and getting it. He's got that game in him. The problem is I don't want you to rely on having that type of game once a series when it is nut cutting time can you make the game a little bit easier before that so it's not you down three two because you had a game that you had to put in the toilet before that and i think he's got a game in this series in him i don't know if it's game six but he's got to have a game in this series right yeah but also don't forget though while you're right about like the game seven against miami they about blew a 13 point lead with three minutes left like we we, we have lost sight of the fact that this was this close to being A, like the Jimmy Butler victory tour of all time, but B, also one of the all-time collapses in the history of the NBA playoffs. Well, here, here, that, that brings you to another question for Boston regardless of how this series ends. What do you do about a point guard situation? Because they don't win close games, right? When you don't win close games, to me, 
that is an indictment of point guard play because it's about pace it's about timing and space and knowing what type of sets you're going to get into and being able to control the, the flow of a game especially late marcus smart is the defensive player of the year now he's done the trust fall one too many times in this series where the refs aren't buying it anymore maybe they're gonna buy it in game six because you're back at home but what do you do if marcus smart after this series is over if your number one objective is let's make life easier for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm actually looking at both of these teams and it's interesting to think that at the end of the year, win or lose, they will both have hard decisions. Now, if the Warriors win, the problem I think they're going to have is their hard decision becomes easy, but they should still stick with the hard decision, which is what are we going to do about 23? Are you suggesting? Because I feel like he's got two years after this. Yeah. The problem, say the problem is, you don't know what you have in Kaminga, Moody, or Wiseman. Looney's up. Wiggins is going to want his money. Poole is up. Like, luckily for them, and I know Wendy made a case for, you know, hey, this is a, this is a salary cap win or a luxury tax win or whatever the case may be, but they've shown to have the means to do all these things. Now, if some of these guys come in and can lessen the dependency on the on Draymond Green, as the margins get thinner and thinner, as he gets older and diminishing returns come into play, maybe don't have his hard decision. But I think the question is, are you going to pay Andrew Wiggins this summer? Do you want to do that? You have to do that, right? Well, what's Andrew Wiggins going to cost? Because he's making 30-something million dollars a year now, right? Right. Which, honestly, for the Warriors is really like $70 million a year. Like, whatever the number is once you start talking about tax and everything else. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a $30 million a year player, even with what we're seeing right now. Maybe you think that he is, but again, it's not my money. But I'm thinking that if you drop Andrew Wiggins off as an unrestricted free agent, I don't think there's anybody out there waiting to give him four and 120. Do you? Yeah, this is the NBA. Somebody would. I don't know, man. I don't like I have a hard time seeing somebody giving him a contract like the one that he has. Like it was different when Minnesota gave him that contract and they already had him because you feel like you can't lose a guy like that because you're not going to be able to replace him and you're not going to be able to improve. I just have a hard time seeing a team with enough salary cap space to do something like that and then giving it to him. So if you're the Warriors, what do you decide that you're going to pay him because you also don't want to insult him in the course of it, especially if they win a championship? What do you wind up doing? Because you don't want to go to drop Andrew Wiggins and just play a lot more Jordan Poole because your defense is going to suffer greatly if you do that. Plus, we're looking at Draymond Green, and I just don't know what exactly you do. It's not like he's going to get better. We have watched him progressively get worse every year since 2016. Yeah, but you, you're going to be watching diminishing returns on Klay Thompson, right? Right. The only players they got that I think are going to get better are players that you and I both think are ready. Yeah, and that and that's the fine line that they're that they're treading, and that's where if you're going to have a criticism of them, and I don't think there's a place to really criticize them right now. But if you had another guy, maybe instead of Moody, like I get why they've treaded this thin line. Like if you think of the Boston Celtics in the Bird era, is Jordan Poole Reggie Lewis? Is he the bridge to what we were to what we want to be? Right? Even if we're not going to be champions on the back end of this, we ain't going to be poverty. You know what I mean? Wiggins isn't up for another year. Poole is going to be restricted. Like, there are some decisions to make. And with this new CBA, they could be banking on getting some relief in that way, right? Because you can, they can open up this CBA and everything else. But I agree with you on premise is that what is Andrew Wiggins worth on the open market? What is Draymond Green worth on the open market? And then there's this culture, family atmosphere that 
you don't really have in sports because business gets in the way. And the more you win, the more dudes want to get paid. And the older you get, dudes want to keep getting paid. You know, like it's, it's going to be some tough decisions. I'm just not sure how they're going to handle it. Well, the counterpoint is I got my criticism to Joe Laker, but that man will spend money. Like he has decided this is this is I told you my whole boy Andre, man. He got this 85 uh, Mustang 5.0. <laughs> he loved that car. You, you, you met Andre, right? Yep, yep, yep. Andre loved that car. And Andre's like, I bought this car to pour money into it. Right. Like he's not trying to like he's not trying to spend more money than he has to working on that car. But he did not get that car to save money. He got that car so that he could go in the driveway and do all the stuff to it and spend money to have it do all these things. And that's how Joe Lake of Trees the Warriors. Think about it like this, Bo. That 1920 year before the pandemic, that let him know what life was going to be like if we not good. Mm-hmm. And he was opening a brand spanking new arena that looked like a Manhattan apartment. And after the first couple of games, Steph went down, Clay not there, KD done left. What you got? And that thing wasn't full. As brand spanking new as it was, it was in San Francisco, it was off the water, all this other type of stuff. People will move on quickly if you don't give them a reason to stay. And he liked being there. He liked being there with 40 Water and mm-hmm. Jay and you know what I mean? All that. He likes being that dude. I tell you, all, I tell people all the time, people go into the NBA and buy teams because they want to be known as the rich person in town. They are already the rich person in town, but they're the anonymous rich person in town. And now people know me. And now I'm a celebrity and a philanthropist and all these other things. And I can go and hang out in these lounges. And this is what I paid for with my own money and everything else. Best believe they love the prestige of it as long as we good. Yeah. Like I talked to Ethan Strauss about this a lot. And he's like, the thing with Lakeup is Lakeup is flexing on all them Stanford business school dudes. Right. Uh. That's his flex. That whole world of those people. Cause say whatever you want about all that Silicon Valley money and the VCs and everything else, da da da. Ain't none of them got nothing as cool as what Joe Lagup has, which is the Warriors. None of them do. And he loves having that. And he is willing to trick off $30 million plus luxury tax for Andrew Wiggins if this is gonna be the thing that makes the Warriors better. Like, can you think of a decision that's been made in this run of the Warriors? In the name of, we just ain't trying to spend that money. Because I can't. There might have been some nonsense a couple years ago where we keeping a 15 spot open or something like that. Right. Right. You know what I mean? But minute on the back end. And you don't want to, shall we say, annoy Stephen Curry. I will say the one thing that Steph Curry has done is he doesn't apply pressure in the way of LeBron. But he lets you know he has the power. Like he doesn't, it's like a quiet sort of, you know, everybody in the league likes me. It's one of them type of things. So I think as long as he's at this level, as long as he's putting his work in and and Steph, I don't think Steph wants to not be a great NBA player. As long as he's there, the pressure's going to be on Lakeup to at least put them in position to be that. Yeah. And I think that's sort of this sort of un- like, you know, guys, when they late 30s, they ain't trying to play meaningless basketball. No. Steph ain't trying to go and go play with LaMelo Ball anytime soon just to go home and play in Charlotte. That ain't the life he signed up for. Well, let me tell you this, too, man. That's a dude that ain't going to wear nobody else's jersey. Nope. Like, I feel very confident that that's a man that understands there will be great benefits to him of just staying here 
this whole way. Not that him leaving would diminish the way that he is viewed by the locals, but they're still for what? You know what I'm saying? Like, like where exactly am I going? What, to get what might be a fifth ring and I already got four? Now, it would be interesting if he made a move to go get the I got more rings than LeBron ring. Well, shoot, he can do that and stay there. Maybe, but that's the question that we're asking, right? Is the rise of Wiseman, Kaminga, Pook? We forget about Wiseman. I'm still bullish on Wiseman. But if the rise of those guys is going to be enough to counter depreciation that you're getting for those other dudes, that becomes it. But you're right, though, with Steph. Think, I got a question for you about Steph. I was thinking about this. That man ever been booed anywhere? Oh, they were chanting, F- you, Steph, in Boston. Oh, okay. Wait, does that count? Okay, has he has he, has he been booed anywhere? <laughs> I mean, he likes he likes skin, so you thought you thought you thought they, he might have got a pass. You know, no, what no, I mean? no, I, no, no, no. One thing about Boston, you got to recognize Boston has no shortage of light skinned black people. Kate Verde in the house, right? They got no shortage. <laughs> they got of a them. bunch of Wayne Fonses there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they getting and, and, and they 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 getting booed on the street, let alone in the arena. They getting booed <laughs> in the street. But like Steph is like the new Dirk in the sense of like, who's the person that's waking up and being like, "Yo, man, I hate that dude." Well. I mean, they think it's I, me and you, but we're not. Bo, this is the craziest stuff. It's like, I've written some of my best sh- praising stuff. The dude changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally told the story of Steph Curry changing my life over and over and over again. Now, I will say this about me and the story of Steph changing my life. And for those of you who don't know it, my career was teetering on the brink there in 2008. And I happened to cover the NCAA tournament during the Steph Curry show. And it was like, oh yeah, I got to stick around for this. I've even told Steph this. It really is that significant. Like I'm not being dramatic when I make that point. But where I could say that I probably went wrong in some of the assessments that I had made or some of the questions, because they weren't even really assessments. It was a lot more of a, well, this is a thing I'd like to see. Right. I can't say I had never seen him put a team on his back before because my goodness, I saw him do it when he weighed 147 pounds. Now, granted, it was college. It is a little bit of a different ball game and all of that stuff, right? But it's like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. I was like, damn, dog, you did actually see him say on my back, boys. And you saw him do it for four rounds of the NCAA tournament <laughs> while playing with guys with good grades. Every single one of them has good grades. Dude, and I thought about this the other day because I was talking t- to some guys just walking back from the arena. I'm going to see if you rock with me on this one. To me, you know, we always talk about like off wax and we talk about North Carolina is still Dean Smith's program. He hasn't coached there since the 90s, right? It's still the program of Dean Smith. The Lakers are still Magic Johnson's franchise. Like they're still chasing the high of Magic Johnson. Golden State will forever be chasing the high of Stephen Curry. Mm Mm-hmm even when he's gone. Like, he's that impactful to that franchise, whether it's three championships, four or five. They will not be chasing the wins. They will be chasing everything else that's around it. Like, that's how impactful and great that he is. He's literally like New Magic, just in a completely different package and setting where if, where you put him and everything else is, you know, is I guess is up for preference. But as far as captivating a franchise, captivating a city – Ain't no real competition on that one. That's when you, when you go back to saying, ain't no reason to go nowhere. Why? Yo, between 1975 and 2013, the Warriors were occasionally fun, but never good. Like legit good. Even that run TMC situation. One playoff fun. win. One playoff win. Did they get one of those uh, sneak it over the Spurs in the first round? Yep. I think they beat the Spurs in the first round and lost the Magic and the old Lakers in 91 in round yeah. two. Yeah, but like, but other than that, Occasionally fun, like 07. That was fun, mm-hmm. but never good. 
And then they became this. Like, I remember when they were running Mark Jackson out. And my frustration at the time with that was I couldn't understand how that could be based on results. I mean, I fully understand why now. And I probably wouldn't hire Mark Jackson at this point. But it was hard because the Warriors had missed the playoffs for like double-digit years in a row. And now suddenly they're a 50-win team. And you try to tell me that that's not good enough, as terrible as they had been? And then Steve Kerr shows up and it was like, oh, okay. Didn't know that you guys were leaving 17 wins on the table. Whoever, nobody saw that coming, right? Like Nobody thought that it was going to be that. And even with Kerr and they're like, yo, the unleashing of Steph, they didn't really unleash him until 2016. Like you go look at 2015 versus 2014, he was shooting about the same number of three-pointers. They just like systematically were better and the Draymond Green breakthrough that they Mm -hmm. stumbled upon by accident. David Lee got hurt. Otherwise, I don't know exactly how this all plays out or when Steve Kerr figures out that Draymond is the guy to go to. Steph made these guys now for the last eight years, even though we had the injuries in between, that team. At a time, let us not forget that that 2014-15 season, that was LeBron going back to Cleveland to play with Kyrie and they got Kevin Love and we were sure that that was going to be the run. Nope. Can you imagine give LeBron some of that uh, tequila that he got, that he owns, mm-hmm. and you give him a moment of honesty. LeBron, what's the maddest you ever been as a player? What's the most frustrating moment? When I went to Cleveland and I thought I had this thing rigged, mm-hmm. <laughs> rigged in my favor, and they came out of nowhere. I dismantled one contender that I was on. I watched another contender age out. I thought I had the NBA on lock as I was aging out of my athletic prime. And this six foot three dude came out of nowhere. Now I'm a fan. Now I'm a fan. But he came out of nowhere. And I will say this. And he thought that he was little brother. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm saying. He thought, oh, this is once again, you're just good enough for me to admire. Not good enough for me to consider competition. His decision to leave Miami, and I understand that there were personal reasons involved and his, you know, all of that stuff. His decision to leave Miami in basketball terms, in retrospect, didn't make any sense. And the reason I say it didn't make any sense is what he realized looking around in Cleveland was, I can't win with a terrible organization. He went and got with maybe the best organization in the NBA and was like, nah, I'm going to go back to the terrible organization, but it's cool. I'm in charge. Yeah, okay. Now he's back here playing for another terrible organization. And the thing that we have learned about Pat Riley, he ain't going to rebuild and he's going to be there waiting when the moment comes and I'm going to find a way to figure this thing out. And don't you worry, we'll always be close. And if you had him with LeBron James and you think about the 2018 Cavs, the fact that LeBron got them to the finals, you telling me that they couldn't have found a way to get to the finals in, these, in some of these other years, regardless of what the situation is with Chris Bosh, no matter what happened with Dwayne Wade, you really telling me that Pat couldn't find a way? Let me spin it to you this way. How many championships has LeBron cost himself by not staying in Miami? Because he's won two since 2014. Right. And see, and that's the trick bag. Could Pat, have put together a team that could compete against the Warriors. Let's try this. And I think this is the fun question. We can almost just lead this with the people as we ride out, okay? I know where you're going. I know what you're about to say. Go what ahead and say it. you about to say if LeBron doesn't go back to Cleveland, does Kevin Durant even go to Golden State to begin with? Ah, I wasn't quite going there, right? But I think that's a fair question. What I'm asking is, 
if you had full strength peak Miami Heat, right? 2012, 2013 level Miami Heat. Put that team against the Kevin Durant Warriors. Who you got? Now, granted, this is not about LeBron staying because Dwayne was not going to be that guy as it went down the line. But just think about that. That 2012 team where Dwayne's still healthy, Chris Mm -hmm. Bosh being Chris Bosh, LeBron Mm -hmm. James, Ray Allen, and the rest of those dudes, and we face them up against the 2015, 16, 17 Warriors. 17 is when Durant gets there. How does that go? That would be fascinating. That would be really, really fun. And I would say this to you. That Miami team operated on the margins outside of Dwayne and Bosh and LeBron. That Golden State team did not. (laughs) They were like, oh, we need more? We'll give you more. Yes. Mickey Harrison has a different view of the luxury tax. That's what I'm saying. So I wouldn't even say it's an unfair matchup. I think depth-wise, that probably wins out. I think, to me, and I'm going to see if you agree, oh, this is going to sound really bad. Maybe the best team I've ever seen is the 2016-17 Warriors. Could be. I don't know if any team, not well, the 87 Lakers. The, the see, 90, I know, you, I know you're going to go. I know you're going to go. The 96 Bulls. But I, I, can, I can pick them apart. In theory, I could pick them apart. In theory. Theory, I could pick them apart. All I'm asking you is this. When either (laughs) Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen is guarding Klay Thompson, (laughs) what you think that's about to be? Do you put Scottie on Steph? Um, Occasionally, but I also got Ron Harper in the crazy long arms to be out there dealing with him. The question is, how many games did Draymond Green get ejected from? Because you know... Dennis is literally going to do what they did to Marcus Smart in game five. Oh, your string is loose? Let me keep pulling at it. That is my man, Vinny Goodwill. Check him out at Yahoo Sports. Check him out, SiriusXM. You catch him on the NBA. Great job with the NBA this season overall. And you know, man, always appreciate you come rock with us, man. Wherever you at, I'm at. Hey, man, I appreciate you. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassain and Adi Khan handle things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Just a reminder for you guys, voicemail line 860-516-4119. Tell us about that time that you was out and things were going somewhere, but the homies cranked it up a little too far, a little farther than you planned to go, and you had to figure out how to get out of that. Also, remember, King of the World by David Remnick is our book for the Right Time Book Club. Our next installment will be June 27th. Corey Erdman will join us for that. Get to reading on that. Catch up, catch up. I'll let you know exactly what page in a little while, but keep reading on that. Um, And remember, follow the Right Time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.